Hi friends, the podcast will be on in just a second, but first I wanted to share something exciting and kind of crazy. Okay, Thanksgiving is 60 days away. Can you believe it? I'm kind of just, this year has gone so fast. I'm just kind of shocked by it all, but I have something exciting for you. So as you may have heard, my new book, The Grumble Free Year will be out on November 5th. And before then, if you pre-order it, I have some great pre-order gifts for you. So you go to thegrumblefreeyear.com, just all one word, thegrumblefreeyear.com. And I have a free color book of scripture printables that I actually use with my kids. And I have a 60-day gratitude journal. Now, what I did is I created it as a printable. You could print it up in color or black and white. If you do black and white, your kids can color those pages too. And for 60 days, your family can write down something they are grateful for. So I just printed it. I hole punched it myself, put it in a binder. And then this morning, my kids wrote down a person they were grateful for. And the next day is um, something else that they're thankful for. So throughout the whole 60 days, we can build our gratefulness. So when Thanksgiving comes, it's just not about the turkey or the pumpkin pie, although that is pretty wonderful too. They can truly have grateful hearts. So be sure to check it out at thegrumblefreeyear.com. Okay, today on Walk It Out, we are going to be talking to a novelist. I don't get very many novelists on, so I am super excited about this. Now, when I first started writing, I just was thinking of myself as a fiction writer. My writing has expanded. I still love reading novels. I still love writing novels, but it has expanded beyond that. I write fiction and nonfiction, lots of nonfiction. So, I loved connecting with Jamie Jo Wright. Jamie Jo Wright, she's a Christie award-winning author of The House of Foster Hill. She has some other great books that we're going to be talking about. And she's a, also a human resource director in Wisconsin where she lives with her husband and kids. But one of the cool things you're going to love is first of all, she was homeschooled. And it's fun to hear um, from adults who were homeschooled kids to see just how things um, have worked out for them. And I think they've worked out pretty good for Jamie Jo. Now, I had so much fun with this interview. It was really, even though we're friends online and we chat back and forth, I really learned some things that I didn't know about her before. Um, And one of the things that I know you're going to love is how she sent a manuscript into a publishing house when she was just 15 years old. So you're going to have to tune in and hear that story. But mostly, I just love how she shares her heart through the pages of a story and how she's able to share about God's goodness through novels. And I just know you're going to enjoy this time with Jamie Jo. You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. 
Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, welcome to Walk It Out. And I just love chatting with a friend and you guys just get to listen in. And I'm excited to talk with my friend, Jamie Jo Wright. So welcome, Jamie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. I know this is going to be an amazing interview because we've had so much trouble getting it recorded. <laughs> oh, yes, we're here. We're it's been here. an adventure. And we're doing it. Yes. Um, for those who may not be familiar with you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a multi-published author. I've written a couple novellas for Barber Publishing, and I have three books out right now under Bethany House Publishing with a fourth on the way. And I'm a mom of two little ones, and I work a full-time job as a director of HR. And in my spare time, I drink a lot of coffee. Okay. So, you, so you're <laughs> writing books, you're a director of HR, and a mommy, and uh-huh. all this stuff going on. So people are wondering, like, Jamie, Joe, how do you do this? <laughs> well, the spare time drinking lots of coffee. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, honestly, I have a very, very support, um, supportive husband who's very um, encouraging and willing to help out with the kids a lot. And um, my job is fairly flexible in that I can work from home some too. So, um, but a lot of it's just prioritizing life and building a routine and making those sacrifices to not, you know, binge watch Netflix for four hours a night. And <laughs> yeah, all the fun. Stuff. All the, yeah, all the fun stuff you can cut out. So, so when did you first um, like think about becoming a writer? Oh man, I wanted to be a writer since I was in early grade school. Um, I always loved writing. I was homeschooled and my mom would, you know, give me notebooks with little pictures from magazine articles cut out and say, write a story to go with this picture. Or she'd give me a line that says, you know, the story opener, and then I'm supposed to, you know, take the story from there. And that was for my creative writing class. So from there on, it was just always stories, stories, stories with me. And I'm pretty excited that you're homeschooled because it's like, (laughs) <laughs> After homeschooling all these kids, it's like, okay, it does work. Yes. Um, so were you homeschooled all the way through? I was. Yes. Yes. I was. My brother went to public school for three years, and there were some conflicts there. And um, that was right back in the day. Well, my mom says it's back in the days when the only person who knew what homeschooling was was Dr. James Dobson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She calls it the pioneer days of homeschooling. And um, we were one of the first families in our church, I think, that homeschooled. Um, but yeah, I started when I was six. And every year, my mom said, we'll just take it a step at a time. And every year, my parents decided, well, I guess we're going to go forward again this year. And by, you know, 12 years later, I was graduated. So <laughs> now, were you one of, the, one of the kids that liked being homeschooled or were you one of the ones that like wanted to go to public school and felt like you were missing out. Cause I have both kinds. We're homeschooling oh, sure. all the kids. And right. <laughs> some of them are like totally fine. Some of them are like every year I want to go to school. I want to do real school. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was one that I really liked to be home. Um, but I missed the social environment. Um, so there was the social elements. So I have to hand it to my parents. They, could tell that I was an extremely extroverted kid and um, they got me involved in a lot of things that really um, satiated that need that I had. 
for social activity. So I was in piano lessons and um, youth group and constantly had sleepovers and just, they were really good at making sure I had that social environment too. Yeah. And were those like involved in, uh, were there any homeschool activities back then? Because now, I mean, our little, we're living in a little community and there are so many things like every day of the week we could be doing something, but I don't think that it was like this. <laughs> no, no. I had two friends growing up that were homeschooled. And um, they were, you know, so our families were fairly tight, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but we lived probably about 30 to 40 minutes away from each other, too. So it wasn't like we could get together during the day really easily and exchange lessons or do something together. And there wasn't anything like a homeschool co-op or um, homeschool resources. So my mom was constantly flying by the seat of her pants. Wow. That's it's so amazing. Um, and so cool, too. Now. I know like one of the main reasons um, like we homeschool is just the spiritual foundation mm-hmm. uh, we want to give our kids. Um, do you feel that that helped you as as being homeschooled to have that spiritual foundation? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think you when you are able to learn even mathematics from a spiritual perspective, mm-hmm. um, it definitely helps create a, a visual or, or lens on how you view everything. Um, from a tree to a mathematical equation, it, it all has the hand of the creator on it. And having that emphasis in the education was really important um, for building that foundation and building that viewpoint. That's good. Now, you know, you talk about like always writing. When did you think like this is something that you want to do and get published? <laughs> I've always been a dreamer. And at 13, I decided I wanted to be the next Jeanette Oak. Um, <laughs> Love her. Yeah. I, I know I do too. I had very lofty goals. Um, but uh, yeah, she was very inspiring. And obviously she inspired many, many writers because she was one of the first Christian writers um, that wrote Christian stories um, and Christian fiction. Um, so I was 13, I guess, is when I really decided I wanted to do it. Um, I sent my first manuscript to Bethany House Publisher by snail mail um, when I was 15 um, and got a nice professional rejection letter and, you know, kept on writing. So it's been a long journey. You know, I was, let's see, I was 39, 38 or 39 when I finally got published. So, um it's definitely something you got to be in there for the long haul. <laughs> okay. I am just like so impressed that at 15, you finished a manuscript, printed it up and sent it in <laughs> to a publisher. Like that completely blows my mind. <laughs> it was kind of a full circle moment too. when Bethany House finally offered me a contract for my books. I'm like, yes. Did you tell them? Gotcha. You sent a- I did. I did. Yeah. They thought that was hilarious. In fact, they've tried to, um, a couple of people there have tried to figure out who the editor might have been because I forgot the editor's name and I can't find the letter anywhere. Um, but she had actually written me a personal letter on back and she said, we don't usually get manuscripts from young people. So she said, I took the time to actually read it. And she says, it's, it's good. You need a lot of work. And basically reading between the lines, it was a, okay, keep writing, honey, and call me in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. I love that it was so sweet. much. It was great. It was great. So, and honestly, that I look at that as a pivotal moment, though, because editors do have a lot of power to crush a person's mm-hmm. dreams to a degree. And um, she did such a good job of handling a young person who obviously has a dream, 
but is obviously very, very far from ready for it. Um, and her words were, were challenging, but they were also very encouraging. And um, I wish I could remember her name because I credit her so much for not, you know, not crushing my spirit or my drive. Yeah, that is so cool. Um, okay, so did you, um, you know, went on, did you go on to college or how did that? What'd you do well, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, me either. Me neither. <laughs> I, I, I fully intended to. I was one of those people that I, 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 I wanted to get married. My dad always says I wanted kids, and I said, no, I just want to get married. Uh, <laughs> and then, so I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do for a living as far as a career. Um, and so college was something that I thought I'd definitely go into. Um, but I needed to figure out what I wanted to do first. And I finally figured it out. I had it all planned. I was getting the applications ready. And then my husband walked through the door and that one kind of changed the course of my life. So, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, and and I feel the same way. And I think also too, and I tell people all the time, like I was 22, pregnant with my third when I started Mm -hmm. writing, went to my first writer's conference. I mean, and they were, like you said, like the editor. Everyone was so gracious. Like looking back now, yes, I'm like, yes. dude, I was 22 <laughs> and pregnant with my third baby, and people were sitting down and helping me with my manuscript and encouraging me. And I, there's, I don't think there's any place else <laughs> other than the Christian no. writing industry right. that just will, you know, like you said, not crush someone's dreams. That will just encourage them right. and help them and guide them and. I went home and wrote, 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 and came back the next year and had more stuff to show them. And I think it's just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The Christian writers community is really phenomenal. It's, it's not a com a competition. And that's, what's so cool for me is just every writer that I've come into contact with is seeking ways to help you, you know, help further your career. And I love that. I love that. It's a, a a servant attitude. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, so, um, you know, fast forward, we have hubby, okay. and then kids come along. Um, mm-hmm. So was it when you had little kids that you really, you know, sat down and started working on these books? Or did you keep writing, like, the whole time? When I first got married, I kind of put it on the back shelf, and I didn't really do a whole lot with it. And um, I dabbled here and there, but kind of put it out of my mind. Um, but then we had been married about nine years before we decided to try and have kids, and um, I went through a series of miscarriages, mm-hmm. and it was during that period that I started writing, um, just kind of as an outlet to escape, so to say. Yeah. Um, and I also happened to do something that I never do ever, but I wrote a fan letter, um, actually fan email to Colleen Coble. And, um, I just, I loved her book. I just absolutely loved it. And her email address was in the back inviting fan mail. I'm like, well, you asked for it. So I'm sending you one. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you ask her today whether she regrets that or not, but, <laughs> um, we actually connected, um, somehow I don't even really remember. She emailed back. And by the time I was at my fourth pregnancy, then we had exchanged phone numbers. And the night that I was experiencing what I believed was my fourth miscarriage was the very first night I ever talked to her in person. Mm. Um, and she called me because I must have sent her an email or something. And she was like, where are you? What are you doing while I'm home alone? And she coached me through that medical emergency, basically. 
And um, then she called her writer friends. She said, I'm going to call my friend Diane Hunt and Denise Hunter, and we're going to be praying for you. Call me when you're back from the hospital. Let me know how the baby is. And I'm like, well, the baby's gone. I can tell you that. And we got to the hospital and we did the ultrasound, and there was a very strong heartbeat. Um, And so my body had all the signs of a miscarriage, but um, the baby was fine. And so went on to have my daughter. And she and Colleen just met this year, actually, for the first time. So it was really neat to see I, them come I together. I saw that photo um, on <laughs> Facebook. And I didn't know the yes. story behind it. I'm so glad now that I got to hear the story behind That's, it. Yep. Yep. I always say that that um, Chloe's my little my little writer baby because all the writers prayed her into into life. Oh, I love that so, so. much. Yeah. I, I was at a yeah. conference once when another writer friend too thought she was having a miscarriage and I just remember gathering right there and just praying for her and she's mm-hmm. like going on and having her baby <laughs> and, oh that's um, so awesome yeah so that's so cool yeah I was I went to my first writer's conference when I was six months pregnant with with my daughter and um yeah I have a picture of um Colleen and Diane Hunt and Denise and everybody with their hands on my big belly <laughs> oh. <laughs> all happy because my baby was coming so that was cool I love that. So, you know, here God was like surrounding you with writers and then yes. this new little baby. I mean, there's just I right. mean, so much joy, you know, and he could have done it anyway. But I love that he just wrapped them around you and just brought them into your life and, and made them a part of the story. Yeah. yeah, it really is a part of the story. And it's just it's renewal. I mean, I think everybody has to one degree or another their own story of renewed hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking the other day as I was reading biographies, and I, I like to read biographies and memoirs, the ones that are from a godly perspective or people that have had a relationship with the Lord, um, there's always hope, always, mm-hmm. for that renewal. Um, so regardless of the tragedy or the tragicness of things that they experience in life, um, God always pulls through, and He always takes something dark, and He He has that rainbow at the end and that just beautiful beautiful family that that you come out with and you're you look back and you're like wow this this is so much bigger than what i can see yeah that is so awesome and now you have two i do yes little girl and little boy oh i love that and the books (laughs) and the books and the jobs and the husband and And the the job and the husband and the cats i have the cats too (laughs) oh yeah i do see pictures of the cats too (laughs) i know i'm definitely the old cat lady so when i'm old i'll have lots of cats (laughs) oh i love that okay so i want to hear more because there are so many genres did you always want to write like the suspense and the uh, mysteries and or did you have other things that you had worked on along the way yeah, no, I was never intending to write mystery and suspense. I loved it. I grew up devouring any mystery book I could read, like every Nancy Drew book. Every oh my Chips god! Okay, book. that was me. Nancy you know. Drew was like yes, yes. Or, yes. Even Encyclopedia Brown. Note, <laughs> yes, yes. And side note, I went to our library's um, book sale a couple years ago, and they were selling all the Nancy Drew copies from when I was a kid, the hardback ones with the old classic covers. I bought them out. I, I was bet. like, nope, they're mine. They're mine. They've been mine since I was 10. You can't was take your, them like, away. library card number in the front? We oh, yeah. We actually have to, like, write in the number in of a library yep. card. Yep. Yep. None of those digital scanner things. No, no way. <laughs> That's really aging ourselves. But, yeah. <laughs> I know. We should probably stop. 
But yeah, so I loved mystery and everything like that, but I've never thought, I never thought that I could write it. And I was a voracious reader of um, historical romance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really cut my teeth writing the historical romance. And then I did a couple of novellas with Barber doing some of the, the romance. And by then I was dabbling with suspense um, with the historical elements because I liked that extra layer of plot to a book. Um, and then just the one night, yeah, it's another long story, which I won't go into, but I got to thinking about what if walls could talk, you know, that feeling of those old abandoned houses and you go in there and what secrets those walls hold. And that's really where the house on Foster Hill, my first novel was born then and became a split time where it was like, you go to the back, the back to see what happened. And then the present to see them discovering the secrets that the walls were hiding. So I love that. So at this point, like you've been writing for many years, how did you know, like this was going to be the one that was going to break through and could you publish or did you know when you started working on it? I didn't, I didn't know at all. Um, I just knew that I wanted to keep writing. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point in time, I was doing the historical romances through Barber Mm -hmm. and I was just so thankful to have the opportunity to work with them. They're a great publishing company. And, um, it was just such a blessing to write the short stories and be part of collections with other writers. Um, so I, thought I'm, you know, I talked with my agent a little bit and I said, I want to branch out and I want to try a split time historical present day mystery. And she said, well, you know what? You've really got nothing to lose. Let's try it. So I did. And, um, we did send it to Bethany house and they did actually reject the house on Foster Hill the first time around and, um, came back with some things that needed work. And so we, we worked on them and in about six weeks we resubmitted it and said, well, we fixed them. We think, and shortly after, then they were like, yep, yep, we want this one. So, Oh, that is so cool. And there you are. That, all these years later. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Three books in, four books in, and working on my fifth. So, yeah, it's an adventure for sure. Oh, I love that so much. And I just love, I mean, you know, you see, I just picture, like, God smiling, like, even at 15 when you're sending yeah. that in. It's like, I know. Just wait. Just <laughs> wait. Because it'll happen. Well, and, you know, getting those books, you know, like trying to figure out how do I submit a proposal? How do I submit? And then I'll never forget. It said, be sure if you want to get your stuff back to enclose an S-A-S-E. And I didn't know what that was. And I didn't have Google to Google S-A-S-E. So I was going all over the place trying to ask what's an S-A-S-E and nobody could answer it. And finally, our church secretary goes, it's a self-addressed stamped envelope. (laughs) oh thank you yeah (laughs) so i totally remember yeah getting the first writer's guideline writer's guidebook yep and it says something like a number 10 envelope and i'm like what's number 10 and like again this is before like there was no google i called like the office supply store and like do you know what a number 10 envelope (laughs) is and they like didn't even and which basically it's just the basic standard white it is but yeah. number 10. when but you don't speak office when you don't speak, language you don't know they didn't know either and so i think i even oh, said no. like i don't know i think I, I don't know i cannot remember how i finally figured out that's what it was but i'm like well they just are sending a piece of paper back i think this will be a fine size and it was and i found out later <laughs> that it was a but i know you get into this jargon talk and yeah you're like i don't know what right that means right I know. And how we survived before Google and Siri, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm even, yeah, I don't even know. 
I don't even know how we did all this. We were at the library a lot. <laughs> yeah. I Oh, yeah. The library was a lifesaver. Um, and all the index cards. Tell me through the index cards. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And the microfish machines. Okay. <laughs> now we're I'm really. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about um, the Curse of Misty Wayfair. Um, yes. I would just love to just, I mean, don't tell us too much because I novels. I mean, you, you don't, I mean, I sometimes I don't even want to read the back cover copy. But just in general, <laughs> what is the premise of the Curse of Misty Wayfair? The Curse of Misty Wayfair has a lot to do with the concept of uh, generational curses, mm. um, where one person's choice from years and years can many years later still be affecting, um, their descendants. And, um, so it's a little bit of a, um, ghost story without giving too much away. It's mm -hmm. not dabbling in the paranormal, so we don't have to worry about that, but, um, it's, it's about the legend of a ghost that haunts the woods and her story as it relates to the old abandoned mental asylum that was in the area. And it really dives into, um, how people who weren't quote normal unquote were, um, ostracized mm -hmm. from society. And that could have been, you know, you could have been epileptic. You could have been, you know, just suffering from grief, widowhood, um, all these different reasons that weren't necessarily mental illness. And then there were legitimate mental illness, um, reasons that they built these hospitals. And so, um, the story kind of revolves around that and then takes you back to the present day and a, a young woman who's also struggling with some of those, those, um, physical, physical ailments and then working through that spiritual, um, element too of her family's consequences and how it's sort of cursed them. Wow. You know, this is something... I mean, I know I, I've got the audiobook, I haven't listened yet, but even my teen daughters, they are so intrigued by the different, and if there's anything that even looks like a ghost story, they're going to be all <laughs> over that, which I love that, but I love that in Christian fiction, that the spiritual element comes through, that it yeah. does dig deeper than, you know, something that they would pick up that would just kind of make them scared or <laughs> curious or whatever, Right. that there right. is that underlying yep. spiritual element. Right, right. And I, I, I'm the same way. I love a good ghost story is fun. And I know that can be um, a little bit of a controversial line sometimes to walk um, based on, you know, belief systems. But it's it's neat to see how really the essence of what I picture a ghost in my brain really is the legacy of the people who have gone before us, not necessarily their actual spirits. Yeah. You know, it's it's the footprints that they have left behind. And we do. It does. It affects us years later. I asked my mom the other day, mom, why am I putting chocolate chips in the freezer? And she yeah. goes, well, that's where you put them. And I said, why? I don't eat them frozen. I take them out and thaw them like a piece of meat. And she goes, well, I don't know. So she checked with her mom and her mom was like, well, back in the depression, we only had the icebox and the chips would have melted. So we had to put them in the icebox. Oh, Wow. And so all these years later, I'm putting my chocolate chips in the freezer <laughs> because I think that's where they're supposed to be stored. Yeah. And we don't need to do that anymore. But that was what they did back in the Depression era. And so, I mean, that's a very simple, simple explanation. But that's how people's habits and choices and words and, and lives trickle down years later and really, really affect people's futures. So, yeah. So, I mean, okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my family history since we're getting into yes. this. Um, so I didn't know my biological dad until I met him when I was 28. So I didn't know him at all growing up. And my mom and my grandma became Christians when I was around second grade. Um, so then we were going to church and all that. 
Um, and then later, you know, I mean, after my wayward years, became a Christian <laughs> and a writer and um, just, you know, adopting kids and my daughter's a missionary, just so passionate in all these areas. Well, once I met my biological dad, I met my grandpa and from him received this family history where he was a church planter and he was born to missionaries who were born to missionaries who were born to missionaries who was oh born to pastors. Goodness. And there's the spiritual heritage. Like I didn't grow up with him, but there's the spiritual heritage. And so now I'm on ancestry and like, it just goes back. And yes. I gotta tell you 20, 30, I mean, pastors and missionaries and this and that. And I'm like, I had no idea. Like when I was a little kid, no one in my family was a Christian and yet like, look what God did and where he right. led me. And then my daughter is a missionary and, um, and I just know that like, this is a generational thing, even though I had no idea. And I wasn't, didn't even know right. my biological family until much, much later when I was already down that path of being a Christian writer. Um, and there's mm-hmm. writers in the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all this stuff and I'm oh, just like, wow. <laughs> what in the world? Like, how does this even happen? So I do think that, um, yeah. you know, for the good or the bad sometimes too, there are those generational things that even if we're not raised in that environment do change us. Correct. Well, it is. And it's interesting too. And, you know, you mentioned that and I, I'm, I have my own story, but I was adopted as well. And I was in foster care for a couple of weeks after I was born. Um, and then my parents adopted me. Um, but even with that, it makes me wonder sometimes about my birth family. I've never really um, pursued finding them, but the reason my parents were the ones that were assigned the adoption was because my birth family requested that I be placed with a Baptist home. My parents were way down on the list, but they were the only Baptists on the list. Wow. And so they were the ones that were called because they were the only Baptists on the list and said, we have a little girl for you. Would you like her? She's going to be a couple weeks old. And they're like, well, yes. And that changes the course of my life. But it makes you wonder what was it that made them specify Baptist? I mean, mm-hmm. I assume they were, that was their denomination at the time, but, you know, were they concerned about the spiritual welfare? Were they concerned about that legacy enough to make that a specification, you know? And again, all those things that you, you do affect, you know, children's lives. You know, I could have been placed in a completely different home in a completely different environment. And the house on Foster Hill may never have been born. It may never have been written. Yeah. And so wow. it's just interesting. It's, it's, it just, it, it shows the hands of God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ultimate author writing and penning a story is our life and it's, it's neat. Wow. That is so amazing. I just love that. And I just love, I mean, the more I get to know you, I'm like, oh my gosh, your story connects <laughs> with mine like so much and the kids and this and that. So I just love yeah, how God yeah. does that and how he uses us and how he has good plans for us. You know, even he really with, does. with our kids now, I mean, we adopted one as a newborn and then others, I mean, one was 15 when she came to our home. It's just all these different ages. Sure. But just yep. know like God designed that they were supposed to be part of our family and that Oh, for sure. Our home is what they need for their futures. Yes. Yes. Yep. And what God's going to do for them. And, you know, when they look back on the the bookcase of their life and the the people that they'll be blessed having known because of the journey God took them on, it's, it's amazing. And it's hard to see when you're in it, you know, especially when you're in the dark times. It's really hard to believe that God is authoring this really great best-selling novel of your life. Um, but later on, you know, I really firmly believe that we all have that opportunity to look back and go, wow, yeah. you know, that was not fun during the time, but 
wow. You know, and that's how I look at the books that I write. To me, they're that that dark. And, and people are like, why do you write dark fiction? I'm like, because I hate to say it, but life is dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not it's not happy and flowery. And yes, I like to read some of those books too because they're a relief. But um, I like to write the stories that that pull us out of that darkness and show that there is hope, no matter what situation we're in. And you know, God brings that hope to us. And we may have our idea of how God should answer our prayer, um, but his promise is that he will answer our prayer. And when he answers our prayer, it will be the right way, whether it's in our agenda or not. Um, and just knowing that it's going to be right, it's going mm-hmm. to be the right answer, is just a, a phenomenal piece that comes with that, because there's no mistakes. Yeah. Well, I think, too, when we are... Yeah, I mean, there's always that light, sweet, fluffy stuff that sometimes, you know, the Hallmark movie that just feels good. That right. <laughs> you're, oh, you're yeah. yeah. But I think the books that have really impacted me have been the ones where I'm crying through it and I'm emotional, emotionally connected <laughs> yep. and drained. And then there's hope yes. even in the darkness. I mean, those are the ones. It's not the cotton candy, but it's the one that right. makes you look right. at your own heart and what's going on and the, the story God's writing in your life. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I love that. I love that journey. And I love that, that walk in a story, you know, being able to walk that with the characters and and hopefully come out feeling like, all right, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Oh, such good stuff. So I know we talk about, you know, I mean, the books, the challenges in the books, but I also know, like in our own lives as writers, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, why did I sign up for this gig? Like, this is really hard sometimes. (laughs) There's the dailiness of going um through the writing and the process and the yes. ch- life and the challenges and I also know that you've had health problems in the midst of it so how do you continue just um going forward and and staying strong even when there's all these challenges you know i think my mom she she paraphrased it and i'm going to re-paraphrase it so it'll get really butchered but she read something by Corey Ten Boom once that was basically um, you don't get on the train until you have the ticket. Mm-hmm. And I've always remembered that. And it's the same concept of, are we going to homeschool next year for my parents? You know, no, nope, we'll figure that out next year. You know, it's that step by step, moment by moment. So rather than trying to look ahead and set my New Year's goal or set a goal for a year or try and figure out where I'm going to be next year at this time, it's really like, hey, I was blessed to wake up this morning and today I feel okay. Yeah. And today my, my health isn't bothering me. So what can I produce today? And, you know, honestly, today, as we're talking, I, not a great day for me to be writing. I'm not feeling really good. My brain's really foggy and putting something on paper would be difficult. And so I'm like, I could be stressing out on, oh, I have word count I've got to make. Or I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit and digest more of the spiritual theme that I want to yeah. impart in this book. So that when I can write tomorrow, it'll be even clearer and even more precise. And so it's just, it's really asking God to redeem the time and, and not getting on that train until it's time to get on the train. Yeah. And then you go to your next stop and you get off and you do what you need to do and you just take it a step by step moment. So I'm not big on new year's goals and things like that. Cause I like, I don't want to confine God to a goal. Yeah. That is so good. And I think. To, I mean, people ask me the question, like, how do you do it? Because I'm homeschooling and the kids and right. taking care of my grandma and all the things. But I do feel like when I'm taking care of the stuff that I need to be taking care of, like 
these kids we've adopted and my grandma who's almost mm-hmm. 90 and it's like god like i love how you said it, he redeems the time like all of a sudden yep. i'll sit down and the words will come and somehow it gets done <laughs> it's not yeah. anything like yep. oh i'm so amazing look at me it's like wow right god you were totally there because it happened and i don't know how it happened and i think that's so important i think sometimes when we're afraid to kind of step out and try the things the hard things the big things because we can't see how it's going to work out and I think right. that's where we need to be, like, because God, that gives God room to show up when we cannot do it in our own strength. Right. Right. And that's where he works the best because he gets the glory for it. And he um, he can can just work without being confined by our borders and our ideas and our stipulations. So, yeah, that is so good. Yeah. Our, one of the books that I have releasing this fall. Um, it is called the grumble for a year. And it was like, our family is going to go without grumbling for a year, which first of all, that's a huge enough challenge. And I, you know, wrote this outline of all the activities we're going to do to help us not grumble. None of those things worked. <laughs> like, all my ideas <laughs> did not work. But in the course of the year, you're talking about like no New Year's resolutions. I had this, it wasn't really resolutions, but I had my outline for my book. Cause it was mm-hmm. like, you know, we were going to do all these things. And in the midst of it, there was family problems. And then my grandma ended up breaking her back. And I became her first full-time caregiver. Like, all these things that I never thought. But through the process, we learned about true gratitude. And we learned about coming together as families. Like, okay, God, (laughs) my ideas Mm -hmm. would have been so much easier if you would just help me to, like, (laughs) do these crafts with the kids. That's just not to grumble. (laughs) Crafts are a lot easier, Lord. Can we do popsicle sticks next time? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The broken back thing. That was really hard. That would Um, not be easy, no. Yeah, but we can never figure those things out. And life is always harder than we hope but god is always right. more amazing than you know we kind of expect sometimes it's like wow oh look exactly. at you you did that <laughs> yep oh i love that okay so tell me you, you, you the curse of misty wayfair is your most recently released one but you said you're Correct. working on another one that's coming out is it uh, are you done is it in the process or where are you with that book I'm actually done. I just sent in the final edits last week. Um, That one comes out in December. It's called Echoes Among the Stones. And that one is really dealing with the theme of the choice that we have to make after grief. Um, That choice to walk through grief rather than avoid grief or to avoid grief and oftentimes choose a path of loss and bitterness where we, we end up losing out on more than we needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a split time. It's also a mystery. It's got murder in it and mayhem and all that fun <laughs> stuff too. <laughs> wow. You don't tackle any easy subjects, do you? <laughs> I'm waiting. I want an easy subject. No, I'm not. I don't. <laughs> I think the that... one I'm... Oh, What's that? Oh, yeah. I was going to say the one I'm writing right now is, is I was praying about what the topic was going to be and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be, this will be the easiest topic. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me like a load of bricks. It's what it, what would it be like to walk around in life feeling completely hidden and insignificant? Mm. And that even the people who would accept you for being insignificant rejected you. Oh, wow. You know, if you, if you had just nothing to give, right. if, yeah. if there was nothing to give, if you were not valuable, and how would you reconcile that? And how would you reconcile that to your faith? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I'm like, thanks, Lord. That was that was not where I was going with this book, but I guess it's <laughs> where we're going now. <laughs> wow. So. Oh, but that's going to be good. That's going to be so good because I think all of us deal with that in different ways. I mean, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're going to get another one out there. That's going to just really change lives. So. <laughs> but there's a process. There's always there a is. process. Yep. Yep. So it's a good process. Yep. Well, for those who maybe are, you know, thinking maybe it's not writing a book or, you know, maybe it's something else that they feel like, oh man, this is something I've always wanted to do. Just like you and I were at the library. It's like something that's always been in our heart, their hearts, but they're afraid to take those steps and they're afraid to kind of put themselves out there and be vulnerable. What advice mm-hmm. would you give them? Um, my advice is a little bit brutal. <laughs> okay. My, you know, I, I firmly believe that we need to stop waiting for miraculous calling mm. to tell us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of writers who feel called to write, but I frankly never did. It was just something that I liked to do as a hobby. Um, and I think we get afraid to take steps and do things. Just, just take a step. Because we don't need to have a big calling or a big mission or a big billboard that splays out this massive goal. Just take a little step. Write one chapter. Write one piece of poetry. Write one sentence. Go to one library book club meeting. Go to one local conference. Um, Just take little baby steps because those baby steps is what builds into a big journey. And if we don't go into it with preconceived ideas or expectations, and even if we go into it with fear and nervousness and hesitancy, I think God can often use that more because we're not going in bold and confident with this idea that we have this massive calling that God's given us and that we've defined in our minds. We're going in really like Gideon went into battle with way understaffed right, and way under armored and under weaponized and should not have won that battle. Exactly. And yet that's when God can shine and say, Hey, I'm going to take this in a completely different direction. And Gideon never had to raise a sword, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that nobody could have sat back and, and planned that. So yeah, anybody struggling or, or scared, just take a baby step. Just take a baby that. step. It's like that little kid on a diving board. Daddy's down there. He's going to catch you. Hmm. That's a good picture to end with. I love that so much. <laughs> well, Jamie Joe, where can people go to find uh, more information about you and your books? Sure. I have a website. It's jamiejoewright.com. And my name is spelled J-A-I-M-E. So that might throw a few people. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you can find me on Facebook. Um, the website has all the links to my other social media. So that's probably the easiest place to go. But I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So all three of those places, it's just my name, Jamie Jo Wright. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Trisha. That was so fun chatting with Jamie Jo. I just love hearing her heart. I love hearing how God has used her, and I just know that he's going to continue to use her. And just the challenges of being working full time, taking care of kids, and then writing fiction, 
I just think it's so inspiring that she really is using her God-given gifts and that he had those planned for her even before she was born. Now, today's Walk It Out verse is Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I just love that when God was creating Jamie Jo, he just put this love of story in her, this ability to um, just wrap her mind around sharing a story with readers, to taking them along on a spiritual journey, even through the pages of a novel. So let me just pray for all of us as we think about how God has created us. Dear God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for Jamie Jo and the blessing that she is. I pray a blessing on her novels. And Lord, I pray for everyone listening today who may think that um, I will follow my dreams later or God can't use me in that way or I don't have the same kind of talents. I love, Lord, that in your word it says that we are God's handiwork. All of us, each one has unique gifts, unique, unique talents that are not just for us, but are for others and for your glory, Lord. I pray, first of all, that all of us will realize that if we have dreams in our heart and they are to help and impact and um, share your good news that those gifts are from you. It's not something that we need to hide or be ashamed of or push to the side, Lord. I also pray that you help us to understand that we need to model these things for our kids. We need to model following our talents. And um, I love how Jamie Jo's um, mom encouraged her to write and that at 15 years old, she felt brave enough to send in a book to a publisher. That is just so amazing. So I just pray for each of us, Lord, that we will not hide the talents that you have given us, that um, you, because you have made us and you see us as your handiwork, that we will glorify you in all that we do. I thank you um, for each listener here and that this week they may just have that extra dose of inspiration. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friend, thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. I am so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you take the time to listen, whether you're doing laundry or driving in your car or maybe just as your relaxing time, you kick up your feet. I hope you have one of those. I know that time is uh, rare for me, but I hope you have that time to relax. But I would love it, first of all, if you would share this um, podcast with your friend, just let people know, hey, I love listening to Trisha's Walk It Out. I'm always amazed by these interesting guests, and I think you'll be inspired. If you just take a minute to do that, that would be awesome. I'd really appreciate it. Um, and then if you ever have any thoughts or questions or guests you want me to interview, go ahead and drop me a line at hello at trishagoyer.com. Just put Walk It Out podcast up there in the subject line. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. Um, and remember to go to the grumblefreeyear.com and pre-order the book and then get your goodies for that. Now, Thanksgiving is only 60 days away. Start your 60-day gratitude journal today. Okay, friends, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.